Hello and welcome to Touchline from myself, Casper Els and Mark Cameron. Hello, Mark. Hi, Cas. Nice being back in studio. Lots to talk about, including the Sharks' loss in the Curry Cup final on the weekend. Yes. We're talking some Curry Cup today. We will discuss Mr. Andy Marinos taking over this week at the Australian Rugby. Some Six Nations starting this week. The Lions toured to South Africa and a Mums and Toti's 75th anniversary. Starting with the Curry Cup final, Bulls 26, Sharks 19. Your thoughts, Mark? Well, firstly, uh, one needs to say well done to the Blue Bulls. Um, the Vodacom Bulls did extremely well this season. <coughs> Obviously, they won the Super Rugby, South African portion thereof. Um, they were front runners right through the season with regards to the Curry Cup. So well deserved. Um, and then obviously to the Sharks, um, someone has to lose, unfortunately. And, and this time around, it was the Sharks that, that went the wrong way. But it was such a close game that the Sharks could actually have won that game. Um, you know, and there's, there's many things that one can speak about. You can talk about missed opportunities, some decisions that were made, so on and so forth. But being as it made... Um, you know, the Bulls are the Clay Cup champions and well-deserved, although I feel sorry for the Sharks. I had a comment from Mr. Joss Robson on Sunday saying that it was more a case of the Sharks losing the game than the Bulls winning the game. I think he's right. Um, you know, if you looked at the game, look, I think the, the more experienced campaigners came through for the Bulls. Um, the Sharks have a very, very young side. I think the, the other team that is slightly younger than them might be the... Xerox lines, um, but from a from a Curry Cup point of view, if you look at the final specifically, I think the Sharks the Sharks did actually throw it away. If you think about it like that, we were leading for for long periods in the game. Um, what is what is very sad to see is that the public has taken to social media to criticise Kerwin Bosch, um, yes. and it's very sad to see that. You know, no no player goes out to to underperform. Um, it's been expected of him to, to slot long-range penalties and so forth. And on the day, his radar wasn't on. Having said that, though, part of your responsibility is just to do that, is to, is to slot the, the penalties when it's needed. But um, I don't think, you know, as a coach myself, uh, it's a bitter pill to swallow because if you look at the points that were on offer, I think it's 15 points that he missed in total. Um, that would have put the Sharks in the lead. We wouldn't have had to go through to extra time in that. But you can't blame one person, you know. If you look at tackle count for, for argument's sake, I mean, at one stage, we missed like 25 tackles. That was in the first in, in the 80 minutes, you know, prior to extra time where the Bulls lost, missed, I think, six, six tackles or so. So that in itself is a problem. So, you know, you can't pinpoint one specific thing. Um, having said that, though, I think the, the Sharks, you know, that still, they still played played well. Um, it's just opportunities, and at one stage, and I think it's possibly part of the reason why Lukanya Am um, took a shot at at, at touch, uh, maybe because Gowen was missing goal kicking, uh, where I think it was slightly in front of the poles or closer, put it that way. Much and closer and to who the knows, Gowen yeah. could possibly have slotted that. You know, in in, in finals or in or in playoffs. You need to take the points on offer. That's yeah, I'm a believer of that. 
Um, and, and who knows, maybe if, if we did go to polls there, it was slightly closer and we kicked it over, there wouldn't have been extra time. But I mean... It would have been scoreboard pressure again. Yeah, okay? 100%. And, and, but you, I mean, you can look at anything. I mean, the Bulls look at it differently to the Sharks. Obviously, the Bulls won. So it doesn't matter how poor or how well they played. They've got the trophy in the cabinet. Where the Sharks will look at it differently as well because it's lost and what did we do wrong and how could we could we fix it? But I mean, you know, as I just to come back to Kerwin Wash again, I mean, I think it's unfair to criticise well, the you, youngster like if, that. If you think about it, the the Bulls fly off, missed that last kick as well to to and, win the game in the 80 minutes. And so did Mornay Stein miss and, his first kick. Well, Mornay Stein also missed two kicks, um, and and nobody's saying a word about it purely because they won. But Kerwin Bosch missed three long distance kicks, kicks and. Everybody's criticising him for missing those kicks. But I think it's because one is so accustomed to, to him slotting them. And, and sadly so. Let's say he missed all of them and we won. We wouldn't be having this conversation. No, we wouldn't. And that's just how it is. No, it is how it is. But uh, condolences, if one can put it like that, to the, to the, to the Sharks. I mean, it's, it's, the Sharks is our country and, it, and it's sad for us to, to fall short right at the last minute. Um, but I know Sean Everett, he's, he's got his ducks in a row. We know we'll bounce back from this. Um, you know, now one shifts your focus because you can't harp on this. We're now going to start preparing for the Pro 16. Um, that's a different kettle of fish, different playing conditions and so forth, you know. And, yeah. and you know, we've also been criticised, South African rugby put it that way, has been criticised for the way we've been playing. A lot of kicking. Um, you know, if you, if you listen to the, the Western Province coach, um, part of his strategy was to play similar rugby in the Curry Cup in the way they will be playing in the Northern Hemisphere in the in the Pro 16. So a lot of kicking, obviously, conditions wet underfoot. Likewise, when 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 we play yeah, different types of the year, then the ball is slippery. So you know you can't you can't go up on on the final that's in the past. You can't fix the result. You can only fix what's going to happen going forward. Yeah. And you know Sean Everett will get it but right it, with his coaching staff. It was a typical final. Um, nobody really expects a final to be a, a spectators game. Um, you you play there to win, to to actually go and get the cup. And if you think about the final played on on Saturday versus the two semi-finals the week before, it was actually a better game. I felt it was a much better game. It was much more structured, both sides, and they knew what they were doing, and both sides tried to play their game plan. No, it's a fact. And as I said, you know, playoffs is, is completely different to when there's no pressure. Um, you know, if you play normal league rugby, if you don't step over the hurdle this week positively, you can always fix it next week. Yes. Playoffs, you've got a once-off chance. If you make it, you make it. If you don't, you don't. So, um, and the final is just that. And I think um, probably uh, the Bulls probably showed more maturity than, than us and handled the pressure slightly different. But what I can say, and, and I think where the Bulls were spot on compared to us and not taking anything away from the Sharks, but I think when their replacements came on, they made a massive difference. You know? So, And those are the guys that actually won it for them. But now in saying that, if you look at the Bulls this whole season, they're under-19 champions, they're under-21 champions, they've got the Super Rugby Championship as well as the Curry Cup now. So the Bulls, as a franchise, this year has dominated the rugby. No, definitely. And it all, it's all got to do with the structures that has been put in place by, by um, the Bulls, you know, and obviously Jake White is a front-runner in that. Um, 
you know, he appointed the, the right coaches. They had money made available for him to basically go and buy whoever he wanted to, to come to the Bulls and to ensure that the spine is, is 100% as to where he wants to go and how he wants to do it. And, you know, if you if you think about it, you've got a captain in Dwayne von Meulen, um and you've got a, a World Cup captain now in, in Dwayne von Meulen, um and you've got a World Cup coach, both of them winners. They know exactly what was at stake, what the planning was, um, Jake and what White, it takes to win a final. Yeah, and Jake White is an astute coach. So, um, you know, if you look at the Bulls of yesteryear, I think they haven't won the Curry Cup in 11 years. And all of a sudden, in the last year and a bit, they've made the odd changes and appointed the right people and brought in some seasoned campaigners. I mean, Gia Aplon, for argument's sake, he hasn't played the whole Curry Cup season, but he was involved behind the scenes. They've got Furida Priya that came in to work with the scrum-offs. Um, they brought Mordenay Stein back, Dwayne Vermeulen. So although they've got, they've got a few youngsters that have come through to, through the ranks as well, they, they made sure that in certain areas um, they brought in people that have been there and done that and worn the T-shirt and no different than Cornell Hendricks. Hendricks. I mean, they Playing at number in, 12. And he's had a super season. You know, they had and, a super game in the final as well. Yeah, no, 100%. In fact, that he was man of the match. So if you look at him... And depending on what um, Jacques Nienhaber and, and Rassi Erasmus have in mind, he is probably the Form 12 in South Africa at the moment, Cornell Hendricks. And, uh, you know, if you go on pure form, Jake said it himself, then Cornell is probably the front runner. But then again, you might be planning for the future. Having said that, we've got the Lions tour that is, that is looming if it goes ahead. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of things outside of franchise rugby that's that's good for South Africa. But as I said, the next one that is uh, on the horizon for us is uh, Pro 16. Well done to the Bulls. Then, Mr. Andy Marinos that took over as CEO of Rugby Australia this week, and I see he is already starting to to shake the tree there. Now look, he, he knows what he wants. Obviously, the board that appointed him have given him certain objectives, objectives or KPIs, if one can call it like that in rugby, in the rugby words, um, to hit. And he's already started. I think he only started on the 1st of Feb. He's already spoken about the national side that needs to start looking at certain things and how they want to change. And he said that he won't tell the national coach as to what to change, but they'll have that conversation, but he will definitely hold him accountable for, for where they're going and what they're doing. And, um, you know, if you look at wherever Andy was involved, whether it was playing, uh, he's ex-Zimbabwean, he's Zimbabwean-born, um, but he came to South Africa, played for Western Province, he did well, then he went to, to Wales, and he represented Wales a few times. Good. Um, you know, and, and all the administration posts that he had and now CEO of Australia, and we said it a few weeks ago, it's, it's sad for South Africa to, to lose a person like that. And good luck to Australia. But I think he's, he's a no-nonsense person as well. He knows what he wants. Um, and the proof is going to be in the pudding, you know. So um, Well, the organisations that he has led up until now and where he comes from, I mean, he comes from grassroots level and he worked his way through all the ranks in, in, in rugby. And the organisations that he ran um, all were very successful. 
Mm. I so, think he's, he's well respected as well, you know, yes. which is important. So, uh, and good good luck to him. And good luck to Rugby Australia. Let's see if they can beat the the All Blacks. Well, and South Africa for that. Um, no, no, you I know, wouldn't so, wish that. <laughs> <laughs> so, where one will see, um, obviously they start with their franchise rugby now in a, yes. in a few weeks' time. Um, and then in June, July, I think it's June, July, they host the French. That's going to be a massive test for them. Um, we'll see now with the Six Nations starting, and we'll touch on that slightly later. Um, but the French, I think the French are up and coming, and Australia will will be able to gauge where they, where they are. Yeah, but we also need to be fair. You can't expect change in six months or in four months and measure them on that. You're going to have to give them a chance to settle and... And do his thing. No, I hear you. Um, having said that, though, um, Rainey was in charge of them in the in the I think it was September October tests. So yes. they've had a run. Played New Zealand. They played in the in the rugby championship. So um, been there, done that already. So it's just tweaking now, I suppose. Um, and uh, and you know he himself is a is a respected coach. So um, no, I think look, Australia can never. Mustn't say never, but uh, Australia can't really be bad for a long time. I mean, and and who are we to judge? South Africa were there, and you know, by hook or by crook, we we made it happen within 16 to 18 months, and look where we ended. We we won the World Cup, so it's not impossible. Um, but I think your structures have to be in place. The coaches and the coaching staff need to get the right backing from there respective employers and obviously the players need to buy into that and depending on, on how they how they tweak and they gel as a team. Well, let's keep an eye on that one. Then the Six Nations starting this week. Going to be an interesting one. That's quite exciting and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that to see some some different styles of play and some new young faces coming to the international frame. Um, what it also does, obviously, to their franchises is it weakens, it weakens club rugby, like they call yes. them in, in Europe. Um, but it gives those youngsters the opportunity yet again to step up to the plate, um, to play in their provincial sides. But I think uh, it's exciting because England is already talking about injuries and what might happen. I see today that uh, John Mitchell has now just re-signed, I think it's a two-and-a-half-year or three-year contract with, with England um, that takes him past the, the next World Cup, 2023. Um, Eddie Jones is obviously happy to have him on board. And we know John Mitchell, he was he was a coach in South Africa. Yes. I had the privilege of of working with him when uh, we were in the Varsity Shield here at UKZN. Um, he's a he's a very technical and and astute coach himself. I mean, he, co he was the head coach for for New Zealand for a number of years. So um, no nonsense guy. No well. nonsense guy. And they got uh, Matty uh, Proudfoot from South Africa that has joined their forwards ranks there as well. So they on the up, but injuries is a is an issue for them. And then obviously the French, the French are talking big things. Um, Floxelia also South African. Obviously he's their kicking coach. Um, they are talking about these youngsters coming through, and you could see it in the Autumn Nations Cup uh, how the French performed. So, my if I if I if I may put a, a hand up here to to say my predictions, and um, you know, without putting the markers on them, I think the French might just upset everyone. Yeah. Um, COVID hampering the 
the start of some of the games. Um, the French were under lockdown now. They actually closed the borders recently. What do you think the, the impact's going to be on that? Well, it's it's been quite interesting because up until today, um, the French might not have played in the Six Nations. They only gave the, the go-ahead this morning yes. um, to say they'll participate. And what they've done is, I don't know the clauses as to how many players you're allowed and not allowed to have, but they opted only to take 31 um, for the fact that they don't want to release players to go to their clubs and so forth for COVID. So... Um, France are under very, very strict lockdown regulations, as you've just mentioned. And it's going to be interesting. You know, if I just come home again and I look at our Curry Cup, how many of our games were either cancelled or postponed and that, and that's just local. Um, now you're talking flying in and out of France to England and to Wales and to Ireland and to Italy and, and so forth. I mean, it just makes the risk so much bigger. Um, but, you know, hopefully hopefully it won't have a massive impact like it did in the Autumn Nations Cup with Fiji. You know, so Fiji were struck down quite badly with, with COVID. Yes. So let's hope. But, you know, as long as, as long as the players are safe and that, I mean, everyone wants to, wants to see rugby. Um, we've been missing that for quite a long time. But you don't want to lose lives because of it. No, definitely not. Then talking about touring to other countries and... The Lions Tour to South Africa. There's some interesting discussions around that. Yeah, let me tell you, um, obviously from a South African point of view, the South African Rugby Union and Rassi Erasmus is, is adamant that South Africa will play the Lions come June-July Test Series. We are still very, very hopeful that it would take place in South Africa. Part of the concern here, though, is that if it does, it might be without spectators. And that's a sad part. And I think from a revenue point of view for both the Lions and for Saru, obviously, it's a problem. Um, having said that, though, Rossi also hinted to say that even if we can't host it, we'll play them anywhere in the world as long as we play them. So on that topic, um, many rumours have, have surfaced. The latest one now that Australia have... Mr. Hinted, yeah, they've hinted that in the same time that the French tour Australia, they will open Australia for South Africa and the Lions to come and to come and play there in a neutral venue. And then um, from a revenue point of view, which I think is actually quite nice of them, um, they will just break even so they don't want to make money out of it and they will share the... the the profit between South Africa and, and the Lions, which I actually think it's great. So a lot of people say there's different hidden agendas and whatever, but, you know, from a spectator point of view, we just want to see the rugby taking place. Um, the box would obviously want to play because you only get that opportunity once every 12 years. Um, and from a Springbok point of view, we haven't played rugby in more than a year since the World Cup. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a catch-22 for us, and, and, and sadly so. So um, I just hope and pray that um, COVID won't have a massive negative impact on the, on the Lions Tour, regardless of where we go. But it would be lovely to, to host them here. As we also mentioned a few weeks ago, that the Lions tournament that was going to be hosted in Cape Town has been cancelled. I mean, and that yes. in itself is a negative okay. cash injection. But from a provincial or a professional point of view, let's hope it takes well, place. Well, let's hope they're coming to South Africa and we actually have the Lions Tour on South African soil. 
Then something else I just want to touch on quickly is the KZN RU Club Rugby return to play. There's been quite a bit of rumours and all kinds of letters flying around of when we're going to start Club Rugby in KZN again. And there was a letter again today stipulating um, two scenarios that that were discussed by KZN RU as to when club rugby will start and how it will start. Your thoughts on those scenarios? Look, it's very difficult. I mean, obviously, we've we've been told that club rugby is postponed at least till June, July, um, which is also a concern because that's basically our winter when we want to start. When I had a discussion with an official of the union, um, I asked a question to say that more so us that play in the Premier, Premier Division, we need at least six to eight weeks minimum to prepare. Because obviously when you return, there will be certain protocols as well. We won't be able to make contact, so you're going to start off with fitness and then you're going to work into contact and so forth. So, um, you know, we're not, we're not professionals. So if you look at the start, let's say we then start in August, September as a playing then, you know, we're right into the end of our season. So how would the league firstly be structured? Will we only play one round? Because, you know, we're not professional, so if you have to go see, into December... 12 games. See, so if you go into December, for argument's sake, the amateurs want to go on holiday and so yes. forth, so we can't, we can't break. So it has to be shortened, you know. And, you know, I, th- I think from a player's point of view and spectator point of view at your local clubs... We just want to get onto the field and play. So I don't think they'll mind as long as we can play. The, the letter from Saru, from Mr. Yuri Ru, said that Saru wants to bring it in in, in, a, in a phase structure. Three phases being phase one, that you return to train um, non-contact for four weeks. And then phase two will be a phased contact training for four weeks. And then phase three will be return to play. Whereas with these scenarios that were released today they show that you've only got six weeks uh, training and then you go straight into play. There's no mention of a phased uh, training schedule. It's six weeks and you play. Well, look, I, I suppose one will still get direct directives from, from the KZN or you for ourselves, obviously, and all our provinces would be slightly different, although the principles would be the same, I assume. Um, my concern is just, you know, if you look at professional sport, rugby, for argument's sake, rugby players test twice, maybe thrice a week. Um, you have to test before a game, and you have to be tested negative, otherwise you can't play. So there's obviously costs involved in that. If you look at amateur sport where there's no money really involved, um, the cost of a COVID test is, is quite expensive. So to ask a club rugby player to test twice a week, once a week is a problem, let alone twice a week. So I think the, the logistics behind it all is going to be very difficult and obviously we'll take lead from, from the directives that are, that are sent through yes. and how it will work. Um, I mean, we did we did train before lockdown now again, um, and we followed followed all the protocols. And happy to say that we had no negative um, infections at our at our club, so we were fine. When I say negative, they weren't tested positive, um, so nothing negative happened. Um, so it's possible, but you know, if you look at professional rugby, how many games are cancelled, and those guys test twice a week at least. 
um, then I'm a bit concerned. But yes. from a from a playing point of view and a coaching point of view, I mean, it's all systems go. And yet again, the other problem that we have, and I think all clubs are on a similar boat. I've, I've read up on a few clubs in Gauteng, for argument's sake. They all seem to think that the smaller clubs will, will close. Um, and some of those players might then migrate to the bigger clubs. But they think bigger clubs will definitely be able to field the first and the second side, possibly under 20 side. Um, but they will be weakened for the simple reason that a lot of the players might be young. They might have wives and young kids or whatever, and they don't want to expose themselves. So not all the players would be putting up their hands to make themselves available, which is sad, actually. No, and I think a lot of players now have decided, some of the older players, after an almost two-year break, that they're just going to give up. And I, it's, it's, it's sad what you're saying, but it's a, it's a fact. You know, if you look at the, the listeners out there, they do train and whatever, and you get your staunch trainers that, that exercise daily or whatever, then you might have an injury and you're laid off for two weeks or so. To come back in motivating yourself and so forth to train. Look, if you're a natural athlete, it's obviously easier, or if that's your lifestyle, it's easier. But to lose weight, for argument's sake, it's, it's difficult to, to find that discipline to come back and to, to, and to motivate yourself to train. So if you look at our rugby players, and we're all amateurs, um, to come back, you know, if you look at it, when a season starts, pre-season, you don't find many rugby players are training because they hate the preseason because it's a lot of exercise and so forth. Now you've had a layoff for nearly two years to come back. I think to get those to get those guys at a standard where you can actually start training properly, fitness training, is gonna be a different kettle of fish as well, you know. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of things that we'd have to obviously cross when we when we get there. But you know, I think most of them when they hear we can train, I'll put their hands up and come back because I mean it's exciting. We that's part of our blood, it's part of our DNA. We need it. Yes, definitely. Then moving on to a Mums and Toti Rugby Club seventy fifth anniversary. We've launched our first of 75 challenges this this week and we hope to to launch a couple more soon and then i want to ask that we that we look at the social media and watch so, social media as well as the media and see what's happening at mums and toti rugby club because there's quite a few changes and i think changes for the better I think it's great. I mean, there's there's not much happening club-wise in, in South Africa with regards to rugby. Um, social media is quiet. Um, you know, Toti Rugby Club has taken the initiative to, because we're 75, and to start initiating certain things. And um, for argument's sake, the push-up challenge started this week where um, players have challenged other players and, and it's going to change. It's going to go to spectators, it's going to go to sponsors, it's going to go to other clubs and wherever it might might take us to. And those are the exciting things that is happening, you know. And then obviously, although there's no rugby, the committee is busy working hard in the, in the, in the back to uh, ensure that certain things will still take place. And there's a couple of exciting appointments that has been made and going to be made available to to public so um yes it's exciting times looking forward to it 
Definitely exciting times for Mums and Toti Rugby Club and hopefully we can play some rugby as well. For sure. Thank you for tuning in to Touchline and hope to see you quite soon on the rugby field and to have our players play the game they love. Definitely. Um, I think it's the only way we keep ourselves sane and positive um, and motivated. And it's part of the reason why Toti Rugby Club have decided to, to put all the challenges out there because rugby is just that. You challenge yourself, you challenge your, your, your body to do whatever you need to do. And, um, you know, if that's the only way we can keep ourselves motivated and going. I mean, just a prime example, Toti have the players came up with this to wear Toti kit like Bok. Bok Friday, for Bok argument's Friday, sake, yes. we, they wear their Toti rugby kit or shirts or golfers or whatever it is, anything with Toti every Friday. So um, that keeps them motivated and, and hoping that there's rugby to be played I'm soon. just waiting so. for the coaches and the committee to join in. Well, the, apparently they will if the chairperson would do the first 75 push-ups in okay. one shot. So let's see. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that will not happen soon. <laughs> But the chairperson will definitely wear his Toti rugby shirt this Friday. Yeah, maybe that's a good challenge for us. We'll put it out there. Mark, thank you very much once again for all your input and your insight. Very interesting views and subjects to discuss. From myself, Kasper Els and Mark Cameron, have a great rugby week.